0: It's good to be with you tonight. Wanna to just say shalom and, and, and trust that you guys all had a great holiday season. Um, thank you to everybody who helped us put on and host the Independence Day picnic in the park. I uh, saw all of the pictures from that. It looked like it went very well. So thank you team for doing that. And and before I begin Diving into the word of God, it's just so good to be back with you in the house tonight. You know, it looks like there are some regulations that are starting to lean in our favor, because rather than only have limitations on how many people can be in a room, in the beginning they weren't taking into account how big the room was. But now they're starting to take into account how big the room is, giving us a little bit more freedom in the house. So for those of you who are building confidence and you're feeling good about it, we welcome you to, uh, to start talking to us about, can you come back and worship with us? We'll keep you updated on those regulations, but for everybody that was able to be in the congregational uh, worship space tonight and the other rooms, we bless you. We're so happy you are with us. I want to say thank you to Pastor Wayne and Ann who have been hosting in the summit For those that, uh, that were needing to choose that for their vaccinations. But here in the sanctuary, uh, we're, we're operating in more of the purple area, which is a little bit more flexible. So glad you're here with us tonight. And, and I also wanted to say thank you to our media team, production team, our camera operators who have been able to throughout this year or more bring, uh, our teachings and our worship in our readings, and the community events, to all of you, no matter where you're watching from, our members in Jerusalem, maybe others around the country, maybe others around the world. We want to say thank you to those, those guys and, and all the teams. But one thing you might not know is that many of our camera operators are actually very young. They're in our youth program. They're in our youth ministry. Um, tonight, as a matter of fact, I think the oldest one operating these cameras is maybe, I don't want to say your name. 17 years old, is that right? 17 years old and on down. I think our youngest one tonight operating the cameras might even be, I'm going to take a guess, I know his name too, but I, I don't want to say it out loud, but maybe 12, 13. And if I offended you and you're older than that, forgive me, but I think it's, it's around that age. So thank you guys for all that you're doing to help us connect with the world and welcome everyone watching online, Kings Community Live, Facebook Live, our YouTube page, those on the website, welcome back to Jerusalem, and we wish you uh, a good Independence uh, Day. You know, we celebrated Independence Day, which is a prophetic move of God. We celebrated Yom HaShoah uh, and Yom HaTzma'ud, Yom HaZikaron, and we did that in weeks past, and we're so thankful. But tonight, of course, we're on a journey, and so I say, Baruch Adonai Melech asher Kidshanu asifrat haOmer, we say, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us by your grace and commands us to count the Omer, which, of course, is the 50 days of counting from the last Sabbath of the spring festivals till the Feast of Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the body. Ayom, yom, eslein v'shtim. Today is day number 22. Hallelujah. So many things to be thankful for. I bring you greetings also as I've been traveling a little bit from other family members in the King of Kings uh, network. But last week, Pastor Ray kicked off a new series for us from the book of Nehemiah. And I want you to turn in your Bibles or your devices back to Nehemiah, because we're going to pick up there with our text tonight. The series is entitled Moving Forward. Moving Forward. And a couple of notes from, from last week's sermon Pastor Ray said, where do we begin? When you're when you're, you're coming out of a challenging time into a new season, where do we begin? And he was very clear listen, we're not trying to compare a year or more of this COVID thing to being exiled in Babylon. We're not comparing those two things, but there are important principles that we can glean when we come through a tough time and we're moving into a new season. We've looked back at Israel's history, the history of the exile and return people coming home it was interesting that nehemiah was very focused his his heart was very interested in the status of the exiles back in jerusalem now he wasn't in jerusalem when the story starts but when the when the entourage comes back from jerusalem and gives him a report he's very interested he digs into that and he says tell me what's going on tell me the state of our country tell me the state of the temple of the people of the walls. He he is the one that's interested. And it's from that perspective that he begins to share what happens in the book of Nehemiah. He wants to look at what did God command in the prophets? What did God command and what is not being done? And when you see something that's prophesied or commanded and it's not being done, there's a gap. Between those two things, and that is what Nehemiah was focused on. He wanted to help close the gap between what God had already promised and what was in front of him. It it didn't appear that God's people were flourishing in their land, and he wanted to dig into why. And we're gonna look at that tonight. Nehemiah had a holy discontent because he had not seen God's promises come to fulfillment yet. And Pastor Ray closed with this phrase last week that we can be challenged and be moved to action by holy discontent. When you see God's word not being enacted, it's okay to have a holy discontent with that situation and move to action. Now let's move into tonight's portions. And thank you, Dr. Catherine, for doing a wonderful parasha reading for us tonight. So happy to have you in the house tonight. You see, Nehemiah hears this report about the status of the exiles returning, about what Jerusalem looks like, how the walls and the gates are broken down. It says that he weeps and he mourns because of these things. But it also says that when he hears them, he prays. He wasn't okay just to be sad about it. That's fine to have a period of sadness. But he didn't just stop with sadness. He prayed. And it wasn't just that he prayed for himself or a specific situation in Jerusalem. It wasn't that he just prayed, God, would you rebuild the walls and rebuild the gates and bless our people. Nehemiah goes into a very deep time of prayer. And what was so unique about this particular time of prayer is that he is leading the country in in an element of corporate repentance. Of corporate repentance. He's leading the country in confession of national sin. You see, when Nehemiah was faced with these challenges, we need to know what his instinct was. And Nehemiah shows us that his instinct was to go to prayer. And that's our first challenge tonight, guys. And listen, I'm challenging myself in that as much as I'm challenging any of us. When there is a moment of trial, pressure, stress, anxiety, a moment of decision, a moment of disappointment, a moment of concern and worry is the instinct to go to prayer. We're going to continue on that theme tonight. I've entitled tonight's sermon, if you're looking it up online or archive, an instinct of prayer. But Nehemiah shows that he has an instinct of prayer that when the challenging time is faced, he moves immediately into prayer. There's this idea of identificational repentance. That means he and the people are identifying with the sin of the nation. They're not saying forgive them because God, we're good. But those people are bad. Forgive those people. No, that's not how he prayed. He prayed, forgive us. We are part of this. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he's saying, we have sinned. We want to repent. We need forgiveness. We confess. We want to turn from our ways, God. So it wasn't just a small prayer that he's praying this is identificational repentance this is national corporate repentance it's a big prayer and his instinct is to go to the lord in prayer he's humble about it and when he begins to pray in nehemiah chapter one and you're welcome to turn there he asks the lord to hear his prayer and he reminds god of his promises And his covenants. He reminds God of his promises and his covenants. Now you might say, does God like to be reminded about his promises and his covenants? My sense of the matter is, yes, he likes to be reminded. It's almost like if I took the position as a father of four, and I promised my kids something of a blessing a date night with one of my kids or a special gift on their birthday. And I get busy and I start to forget about it. I want my kids to come back and say, hey, dad, did you forget that you, you promised that? Did did you remember? I'm just going to gently remind you, dad, did you, don't forget, you promised this. It doesn't bother me as a dad. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I was trying to bless you. I'm going to go do that. How much better of a father is our God than me? And if someone like me can't wait to bless his kids, even if I forgot, how much more quickly and readily does our heavenly father want to bless us? So no, to answer the question, God does not mind at all if you remind him of his promises and his covenants. As a matter of fact, by by reminding him of what you've read in the scriptures or what the Holy Spirit has shared with you, it's a sign that you're engaging in the word, right? It's hard to remind God of promises that you don't remember reading. So it's actually a sign of your engagement with the word of God, and I think that's a good thing. And as Nehemiah goes into this corporate time of repentance and confession, we come to Nehemiah chapter one, verse 11. And he begins to do something that struck me as unique when I first read through it. And I want to put a little highlight emphasis on it. He says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant. And to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. So Nehemiah is about to approach the king. And he's asking God for success. How bold to go before God and ask for success. Now, notice that before he asks for this kind of success from God before the king, Nehemiah has been faithful to go through a process. He's laid the groundwork for success first. You see, in today's world, it seems like we can find many people asking God for success. I don't think that's hard. But my question to us is this, have we gone through the process of success before we ask God for it? You might say, whoa, show me that scripture. Is there a process to this? Because if there's a process, I'll gladly jump in, start start doing that process so that I can remind God that he's supposed to give me success. Who wouldn't sign up for that? I'd sign up for it. I think Nehemiah is actually teaching us a little bit about the process. The process included confession of sin. Oh, pastor, you're taking me negative now. I thought you were going to pump me up with success and strategies. I thought you were going to pump me up with some positive confession and self-proclamation. Positive words into the future. Call not those things that are not as though they were. I'm all for it. But there's a process of success. The process of success is not just you talking into the air about stuff you want. Nehemiah takes us through this, and the steps are confession of sin, repentance, grief over breaking God's law, mourning over the state of the Jewish people in the land of Israel, reminding God of his promises. Then we ask for success. Why this order? Because God is a God of order. And when we put our life in order, we tap into the pipeline of God's blessing. It doesn't always mean it's easy to get in order. But that order includes confession of sin, repentance, grief over breaking God's law, submission to his word, seeking his will. Those are some of the steps of this success story. Now, let me be very clear. When I speak on the process of success and corporate repentance and all that we need to do, I am not speaking of salvation. I'm not saying you have to get everything right in your life before you come to the Lord and ask for his salvation. It's kind of the other way around. In terms of salvation, you come to the Lord in our sinful, dirty state, and we say, God, I can't do this. Can you do it? Please save me. So I'm not talking about the plan of salvation. I'm talking about the plan of success. But success also includes repentance and confession and changing the way we live, coming into God's right order because God is a God of order and he works through order. Our life is being restored. Now, even though we're talking about Nehemiah and the rebuilding of Jerusalem... There are some other places in the scriptures that shed light on this same process. I remember Solomon dealing with order and prayer and the presence of God coming. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I'm going to read you a few verses, 12, 13, and 14. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all that he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace... The Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer. I have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. You see, Solomon had done all of the things that was required of him in that moment. And when he had done the things that were required of him, God was faithful to hear his prayer, to show up with his presence, and to make the new temple his dwelling place. But there was a process. Things had to be in order. Solomon had to fulfill the things that he knew he needed to do. We continue in that same chapter, verse 13 and 14. God is speaking now. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people... Who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now, this is a verse we've heard a ton of times this year. And it's a great verse to point out during a difficult season where the whole nation is impacted, including the whole world. But notice that even in that famous verse, There's the idea of the if-then. You got a role to play, and then I'll play my role. It's an if-then. If my people will do the process. What's the process? Well, it sounds a lot like Nehemiah's process, even though it's Solomon's. If you'll humble yourself, if you'll pray, if you'll seek my face... If you will turn from your wicked ways, then I will. So there's an if-then principle happening right here in the text. God wants to bless. God wants to return. God wants you to have success. But there's an if-then. Nehemiah understood the if-then principle of how God works. Call on my name. Humble yourself. Pray. Seek my face. And when it says seek my face, We can understand it's talking about seeking the will of God. Turn from your wicked ways. Then I will start the process of healing. Nehemiah understood this process. He knew the word of God. He knew the history. If you jump down to verse 19 of the same chapter, I'm in 2 Chronicles 7. Look at 19. This is a verse that Nehemiah would have known. But if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from my land, which I have given them, and will reject the temple I have consecrated for my name. I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. This temple will become a heap of rubble. All who pass by will be appalled and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? People will answer, because they have forsaken the Lord. The God of their ancestors who brought them out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them, that is why he brought all of this disaster on them. Nehemiah knew the reason. Nehemiah wasn't guessing about the reason. He he wasn't... He wasn't developing a process that was unknown. He wasn't inventing something new. Nehemiah knew Chronicles. He knew the story of Solomon. He knew the promises of God. And it wasn't just that he was reminding God about the positive side of the promises. He knew the negative side of the promises too. Are you following me today? Nehemiah did his homework. That when he stood up and he was giving an identificational corporate repentance for Israel, he was doing so based on the story. He knew the story. The story was coming out of Egypt, I give you the land, obey me. And when you don't obey me, I'm going to have to take you out of the land and everything you've built will be destroyed. So when Nehemiah sees the people out of the land and they send the People to give him a report. Hey, what's the land look like? And they say it looks bad. He says, ah, I know why it looks bad. It looks bad because of what God promised. And we chose it. We did it. We have responsibility. And it's that responsibility that compels him to go into repentance for the nation and say, God, we did it. Exactly like you said we were going to, we did it. Everything you said we were going to do and mess up, that's what we did. We messed it up, God. But we don't want to stay there anymore. Can you hear us? We want to repent. We want to confess. We want to turn. We want to change. We want to yield. We want to obey again, God. And friends, an encouragement here is this. God did exactly what he said he was going to do. And even though it shows up like, oh man, what a bad part of the story. I'm telling you, that is a great thing for you. It is a great thing for you that God always does exactly what he says he's going to do. Because then in the moments where we are connecting with God and we remind him of his promises, we have confidence that he will do exactly what he says he's going to do. Yeah, it showed up negative here because they disobeyed, but he still did everything he promised. Even in discipline, God is a promise keeper. And that's a positive message we can take from that challenging story. When Nehemiah hears the report about the bad situation in Jerusalem, again, we're talking about the temple being destroyed and the walls being broken down and the gates being broken When he hears the story, he goes to prayer. His instinct is to pray. And knowing the word of God and the history of God's promises, in his prayer time, he moves into corporate repentance. Such a wise thing to do. He doesn't exclude himself from the corporate repentance. He includes himself. That means, if English is not your first language, that means he is part of the repentance. He's not repenting for someone else. He's saying, we... We are part of it. We sin. I am part of it. Forgive us. But then he's also compelled to action. Prayer first. Repentance. Remind God of his promises. And then he's compelled to action with holy discontent. And he gets a boldness. He says, God, give me success as I go talk to the king. And now, just like Esther, they have to go into the, in front of the king with confidence. God, I'm going to need you to go with me on this one. It's what Esther needed. It's what Nehemiah needed. So he goes before the king. And when he goes before the king, this is going to be awesome. Listen to this. Dude, just enjoy this for a minute. This is going to be amazing. He goes before the king. He tells him the story. He gives him God's history. He says, we messed it up, but we're going to get back on track. My country is broken apart. I'm asking for you, king, to give me permission. So he goes before the king, and he's sad. The Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 2 that he's sad. And the king has never seen him like this before. Isn't that amazing? That's how close Nehemiah and the king were, by the way. You read cupbearer, and you think, give me my wine and move along. You know, I heard someone say, and actually, I think even Pastor Ray mentioned it last week that in these biblical writing times, those that were in the inner circle of the king and held a title, if it was arch- chief architect, or if it was a secretary, or if it was a cupbearer, or whatever it was, they would use a common term to reflect a high position. What I, what I mean is, even the people in the Israeli government might sit in a high seat of authority, but might have a very common term attached to their name, a ministry of the Knesset. It's not an overwhelmingly amazing title. He's he's a minister or the secretary of state. If somebody a thousand years from now looks back at our text and reads secretary of state, oh, is there a secretary? They answer phones. No, he's the secretary of state. It's kind of a big deal. And when we, we read Cupbearer, we're like, oh, he brought the wine. No, that's not what he was. He was one of the inner circle advisors for the king. And the king knew him well enough to say, you look sad. I've never seen you like this. What's going on? And then to care about what was going on. That's how you know he wasn't just, you know, it's almost like, look, a pattern in the Bible. Joshua was the aid of Moses the aid. Joshua, the one who's about to lead the country as the next president, king, prime minister, or whatever term you like, was the aid. He was the helper to Moses. Almost like he brought Moses a sandwich. Hey, Moses, I brought you another turkey sandwich. You need anything else? Can I massage your feet, Moses? No. He's the aid, which in that time, that inner circle, the aid that Joshua was, meant he was number two, and he's going to take over. In the same way, we have a secretary of state, we have the minister of Knesset, we have a cupbearer, inner circle, an advisor, trusted by the king, known by the king. The king says, why are you so sad? Tell me about it. I care about you. That's how close Nehemiah was with the king, and that's important based on what the text tells us. So he goes in front of the king, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, and the king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. This guy is impressive. When he hears the bad report of Jerusalem, his instinct is to pray. He knows the word of God, so he knows the story. He knows the reason things aren't going well. He reminds God of his word and his promises and moves into corporate repentance, including himself. Confession. Then he's moved to action to go in front of the king. The king says, you're my friend. What can I do for you? Now, I want you to be in that place. You're in front of one of the most powerful people on earth, and he says to you, you've got my favor, what do you want? What would you ask for? That's a great character challenge. What do you want, Nehemiah? Well, King, appreciate you asking. What I'm thinking about today is I uh, could really use a second floor on my house. I mean, if it is fitting with the King, I'd love a swimming pool in the backyard. I could use an extra car. or My, my car is a little old. Um, if you want to throw an in-house chef, you know, to just keep me fed, well, I'll take that as well. And I'd love to never pay taxes again. Fill my bank account. I can think of a lot of things, King, that I would like to ask for. I'd love to get a nanny for my kids so I can take a break. Vacation. Can you bump up my vacation, King, from two weeks to three weeks next year? That'd be be awesome. What the human mind and the human heart would want versus Nehemiah, who is before the king with great favor, and he says, Nehemiah, what what do you want? And then Nehemiah is smart enough to not even answer. What is his instinct? Pray. The king says, I'll give you whatever you want, Nehemiah. And he doesn't answer. I'll read it to you again. Catch it if you you can. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed. The instinct was to pray. What is he praying for? He's praying for God's will. God, the king says, I can have whatever I want. God, tell me what I want. Because what I want is what you want. So tell me what you want. And I'll tell him. And we'll get it done. This guy is impressive. He's as impressive as Daniel. Go back in the archives. Watch our Daniel series as we go through Daniel's choices and his wisdom. But Nehemiah's instinct is to pray. He gets the will of God first. Then he answers the king and says, send me back to Judah so I can rebuild it. Now, Nehemiah certainly wanted to rebuild Jerusalem. He certainly had a vision, but what I want to point out to you is that he, it's not his vision alone. It wasn't something that just he wanted. He first made sure that it was what God wanted. And now he knows because he prayed about it. God wants, from his own scriptures, God wants to rebuild this. He wants us to have success. From my personal prayer, he has confirmed it again. Nehemiah, I want you to go to Judah and rebuild it. So confidence from the word, confidence from prayer, he goes before the king and he says, I want to rebuild Jerusalem, will you help me? Friends, once we take the time to hear God's heart on any matter through prayer, and we wait... Then we align our heart with His. We go through the process of getting things in order, then asking for success is not just a hopeful dream. You know, when you take time to go through the process that Nehemiah did of repentance, making changes where necessary, reminding God of His Word, stopping to pray and ask God for His will, when you step out and ask for success, You're not just crossing your fingers and hoping for the best. You're almost already guaranteed that if you do what God says and you remind him of what he said, you're going to get it. It's going to happen for you. The problem is when you start to want things that God doesn't want for you. That's where the problems come up. Or we start to live a life that God has not called you to, meaning a life of sin. When those things happen, then success is not guaranteed. And this is why I have trouble with the idea of unqualified positive confession. I'm all for positive confession as long as God has said it. When God says it, confess it all you want and it will come to pass. But if God has not said it, then you're wasting your time. Nehemiah knew what God had said. That's why he moves in boldness and confidence. It's not just a hopeful dream. He's gone through the right order, the right process. Let me close with a key phrase tonight Aligning ourselves with God's will is the catalyst for success. That's the catalyst. Aligning yourself with God's will. You say, man, Pastor, I need some success in my life. I need success in my marriage, success in my finances, success in my workplace, success as a parent, success as a manager, as a leader. I need some success. God wants you to have it. I promise you he does. But he moves through the process that he has outlined. Find out from the word of God what he wants you to do in those situations and do it. And when that has been done, you will see God's success flow through you. Aligning ourselves with God's will is the catalyst for success. And so we summarize. We're in a current time where soon we will be able to rebuild our lives. I don't think we're ever going back to the world the way it was. It will be a new perspective on the world, it will not operate exactly the same as it did before. But as we come to a soon rebuilding of our life to some extent, we are challenged with the two issues mentioned today. And that is, in a difficult time, is your instinct to go to prayer? Is our instinct to go to the Lord in prayer? Nehemiah showed us multiple times that his natural first stepped instinct was to pray. And we have prayer times in our community groups. We have prayer times in our discipleship classes. But we have several prayer ministries as part of the King of Kings family you can connect with anytime. One of them is located in this building on the 14th floor called the Summit, formerly known as the Jerusalem Prayer Tower. The Summit is a great place to pray with other people overlooking Jerusalem. We invite you all to come and participate Go on our website, look up our prayer times. Is our instinct to go to the Lord in prayer? And secondly, are we aligning ourselves with God's will in order to find success? As we move forward, these are the two challenges I'm going to keep repeating. As we move forward in our life, whatever the future may hold for us in this, what is certain to be a, An accelerated prophetic time in our age is our instinct to pray and are we aligning ourselves with God's will in order to find success. I think those are the things we really pull out from Nehemiah tonight. Let me pray over you. If you're in the house, why don't you stand tonight? Let me just speak an impartation of blessing over you. The worship team's gonna take us back into worship for a moment. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word, the goodness of your word, the principles laid out, the order you give us. We, we thank you that we're not left to our own devices, that we don't have to come up with something. We don't have to make up something. It's all written right there. If we choose a way other than your path, God, you're telling us what the outcome will be negatively. And you're a keeper of your word. And yet if we repent and we choose your, your ways, We understand that that's a process of success. And so tonight, God, we as a family of ministries, we, we, corporate identificational repentance, it's a we. We as the nation of Israel, we as the Jewish people collectively, we repent of our sins. We ask for forgiveness. We confess our weakness and our turning. We are sad that less than 1%, less than half of 1% of the Jewish people in Israel know Yeshua. We're sad about that. Just like Nehemiah, he grieved. But Father, we know the reasons. We know the challenges. It's all in your word. I pray tonight that we take this national promise and we apply it by principle, to our personal lives. What areas are we asking you for success? Help us to go through the right order to live out your word that you might release the blessing that you're so ready to release on your people. And help us to move forward in this new age. We bless you tonight. And we say thank you above all things tonight for being a keeper of your promises. Amen. Thank you.